What are we talking about today? We are talking about one of the most controversial books. So, welcome to today's TV show, the book of the day show, my new show. We're talking about Richard Dawkins, a million copies sold of this sucker right here. Now, I want to give you a warning on this book. Uh, this is one of those books that for various reasons, uh, a lot of people have a lot of emotion about. Richard Dawkins is one of these guys. I don't know your particular religion, your faith, but I will tell you this. The secret to having a brain that finds out the truth. And I believe all of us, no matter what our specific beliefs are, specific faith, whether you are coming to this show today as an atheist, as a Christian, Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, New Age, whatever it is, I hope that you are driven by uh, the search for truth. Now, you know, the famous saying is, what is truth? So let me define truth as this, for the sake of this conversation. Truth is not an absolute at all times. I think everybody would agree with that. There are times where things are gray areas. So what truth becomes is a search for the most accurate expression of something. So we're all about accuracy here. What's one of the number one ways to increase the accuracy of what you believe? For example, right now there's a little, if you're on my YouTube channel, there's a running feud that I've been watching in the comments between one guy and, I don't know, 50 other people. And it's, it's interesting because this guy is 100% sure that you shouldn't read books. He says it's just going to give you book knowledge and blah, 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 blah. Well, of course, some other people are a little more like me and they're going, no, that's BS. Books are extremely important. What I would say to both parties is you guys are both going to be able to make your point. You guys are both going to be able to say, hey, here's an example of somebody who didn't read books, who was able to change the world, and then you're going to, the other side, the other debating party is going to be able to show you all these people that use books. So at some level, if both parties aren't seeking for accuracy, it just becomes what I'm sure you've experienced. Two people with egos pushing their agenda forward. The world doesn't need more of that. What the world needs is more accuracy. This is what will change governments. This is what will change communities. It's what will change your life. It's what will bring you the good life, health, wealth, love, and happiness. So this book, the question is not whether it's right or wrong. The question is, is it accurate? Well, if you find the thought that we are selfish animals, uh, gene machines, okay, you find that I get to be against your beliefs, then I want you to do something. I want you to take on a new mindset that says, I'm always going to look for disconfirming evidence. Disconfirming evidence. What does disconfirming evidence mean? It means you're going to always at every moment, well, not at every moment, I'm figure of speech, at every point in your life where you have any strong belief, I want you to try to disprove it. This is what made for the greatest thoughts, the greatest thinkers in all of history. You know, it's uh, Charles Darwin, 
He's famous for many things, another controversial guy. One thing that made him effective, okay, whether or not he was 100% right or not, what made him effective was he always tried to disprove whatever he believed. So whatever you believe about life and the inherent nature of humans and this experience that we're on, try to disprove it. It's the same thing if you were on the show yesterday, if you weren't, check out a replay where I talked about the book Diet Cults. Everybody, here's the book. I've got it for sale, by the way, on our book of the day deals, so check it out. Uh, and you get my notes on the book too and my free bonuses on how to speed read. Same with this book here, the Richard Dawkins book. Uh, if you buy it online or, or at a bookstore, you just get the book. If you buy it from me, you pay about the same price, get it shipped to you about just as fast, get a brand new copy, plus I give you my insider notes to help you read faster, plus I give you seven video bonus and some other bonuses too on how to read the book faster. So anyway, uh, if you take this idea that you have that everyone should be a vegan or everyone should eat paleo or everyone should be on the bulletproof diet or everybody should try the Atkins diet or everybody should be in CrossFit and then you go out, unlike the rest of the mindless blind followers, not that all followers of things are mindless, but many are. Uh, instead of being like that, you go out and you look, you Google why veganism is false, why paleo diet is false, why raw diet, why macrobiot, what's wrong with pescatarian diet. You try to disprove. Now, some people are afraid. No, I'm not going to do that. I already know that I'm right. Well, you know, you about know somebody's a mindless robot the second they tell you, I know I'm right, without a shadow of a doubt. The last time I was, knew I was right, I was eight years old and my mom wouldn't watch cartoons with me and I said, mom, watch cartoons, these are great. And she said, I don't think they're funny and Ty, one day you won't either. And I remember going, I remember vividly thinking, I was on a couch, I remember vividly thinking, I will always love cartoons. And you know what? The strength with which you believe something has nothing to do with the fact that it may will be true, right? They're unrelated. So, this book, I believe everybody should read this book. I believe you may or may not come out completely believing everything he believes, but you know what will happen? There will be thoughts, maybe sub-thoughts that are in your mind, and it'll be like putting your convictions into a fire. If you know anything about metal, if you put, let's say, a little, uh, a little container and it has gold in it and it has worthless paper scraps and a napkin and some receipts of yours and you put that in the fire, all the worthless stuff will burn up and all you'll be left with is the solid gold. And that's what happens when you try to disprove yourself. All you're left with is the real good stuff and any little stuff that's holding you back gets burned away. So let's jump into this book. Darwin's survival of the fittest, this is on chapter two, is really a special case of a more general law of survival of the stable. You know, evolution, Charles Darwin, very, you know, one of these misquoted, misunderstood theories. So Dawkins starts out by saying the universe is populated by stable things. A stable thing is a collection of atoms that is permanent enough or common enough to 
who deserve a name. So he begins this book by trying to lay out a very hard question. You know, where do we come from? But he doesn't answer that too much in the book. He's trying to say, why, what are we doing here? And what he says here at the beginning is that down to your atomic level, you are somebody, you are an organism seeking stability. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you know, it's a little bit like this Einstein's law of time warps, which says Kip Thornton, the great physicist who worked with Stephen Hawking, summarized what Einstein said, and he said all things move to where they age the most slowly. That's why if you're in the basement of a house, you are literally aging a millionth of a second or, or more, trillionth of a second, slower than somebody who's on the second floor of the house because the gravitational pull, you're closer, you know, you're being, uh, you, you are closer to the center of the earth. So that's, they're similar. We're both being pulled to stability. In your life, as you go for health, wealth, love, and happiness, this sometimes will work against you. Do you know why there are so few people who do great things? So few people who are like, if you go, go on my book, of the, my book recommendations, Tor Heyerdahl in the book Kantiki, the Norwegian explorer, who unlike everybody else, most of us who live mundane lives, he decided he was going to prove his great theory that uh, people could sail across the Pacific Ocean before modern boats. And so he cut down trees in South America. He, he braved, you know, going through, there was headhunters there, like cannibals and stuff. And he was able to chop down eight balsa wood law, uh, logs, float them down the river to the Atlantic, strap them together with rope, get on a boat, a raft, and float across the Pacific Ocean. One of the greatest feats of courage uh, ever. And you see, he had to work against that natural inclination that you and I have, which is to seek, seek stability. Now, stability is not always wrong. It's not even a wrong or right question. At, other, at some times, though, it doesn't serve the end goal that we're seeking. Some of you come in on these, uh, I'm going to be doing right after this show, I do two shows every day. This is the Book of the Day TV show, followed, uh, I take a five-minute break to Drink my green shake made of spinach. What's in here? Uh, yeah, Superfood, super spinach, whey, and, uh, and some other horrible vegetables. It's not too bad, but uh, I take a five-minute break, and then some of you have been following these live business seminars. I'm going to be doing one on how to get a million people to buy your product or how to get a million people to pay attention to a new idea that you have, the new rules of marketing. And... One of the things that I talk about in business is that the reason that the average human, and listen to this number, it's scary, spends only 12% of their life doing what they love. 12%. I recently read that. 12% because, and they spend the other 88%, the other 88% of their life doing things they're not good at, they don't like, they have no passion for. And that makes me think exactly of what that little book I have here somewhere, Seneca, On the Shortness of Life. If you can see this book, I don't know. It's kind of a hard cover. Seneca on the Shortness of Life. 
He said, life is long if you know how to use it. He says here uh, about life, life is long if we know how to use it. But one man is gripped by insatiable greed, another by a laborious dedication to useless tasks. One man is soaked in wine, another sluggish with idleness. One man is worn out by political ambition. Another, through hope of profit, is driven headlong over all lands and seas by the greed of trading. Some are tormented by a passion for army life, always intent on inflicting danger on others. Some are worn out by the self-imposed servitude of thankless attendance on the great. Many are occupied by either pursuing other people's money or complaining about their own. Many pursue no fixed goal but are tossed about in ever-changing designs by a fickleness which is shifting. It is a small part of life we really live. Indeed, all the rest is not life but merely time. He says most people just spend their life passing time, not living. We see why there's a scientific basis. You and I are inclined to the status quo because every part of us at an atomic level seeks risklessness, not taking risks, the stability of whatever it might be that you consider stable. But I will tell you this, when it comes to your career, I believe being an entrepreneur is much more stable. Why? Joel Salton used to say, you know, under stress, my first mentor said, when you're under stress, there's two scenarios you can find yourself in. The first is where this fixing of the stress is outside of your control. And he said, that will drive you crazy. That will bring you to a place that you don't want to be. But he says there's another kind of stress that people have. It's a stress that all you have to do is put on your big boy pants grab a shovel and dig a hole or build a fence. He was a farmer, by the way. Or fix the barn. And it might be cold and it might be storming and you might be out in the rain, but it's within your control to just work a little harder, sleep a little less that day, and fix it. So guess what happens in careers when you seek too much stability? You end up with no stability at all and you end up even worse in a scenario like this guy who emailed, uh, he texted me, in the business, uh, he said, Ty, uh, I was laid off from my job at 11.30 in the morning, unexpectedly. No, nine in the morning, he said. Nine in the morning, I was just laid off. I came into work on Friday and the company shut down. So all that stability was for nothing, but he said, you know what? I'm in your business uh, entrepreneur lifestyle program. And he said, I had a company up and going that I've been thinking about. By 11.30 the same day, I had the basic business launched, and by Monday, I'm having my first customers. See, he has the ability now, because he knows how to be an entrepreneur, which is what I've always been, to eliminate the risk, to just take it in hand. Anyway, so that's, I don't want to go too far on that. I found that to be a fascinating understanding of life. I'll pull up some of my notes uh, that I do on my phone. Just so you guys know, I always have it almost always have a hard copy of a book. I'm not a big believer in pure electronic books. And the reason I'm not is simply because I'm old school. Sometimes I feel like I'm staring at screens too much. Um, also, I believe when I read completely electronic that I actually miss stuff. Uh, 
so, you know, it drives me crazy that people try to argue with me that just electronic works better. I'm telling you, there's something about holding this visceral experience. So, the good thing though about electronic, and the main reason I also download the best books, I don't do it with every book, but I'll usually buy the book and do it electronic, is because I can search the book really fast. So if there's a word, like right now I'm searching the word simulation, because one of my favorite uh, uh, concepts in this book is the keyword is simulation. And sometimes I have two copies of the book or I lose my notes or I forgot to circle. I usually just circle the pen my notes. I can just go to my electronic version, which is what I just did now. So on, I believe this is chapter four, Richard Dawkins says, one of the, and he's talking about why we have the brains that we have, such big brains. And he says, one of the most interesting methods of predicting the future is simulation. Now, he's talking about how you and I came to be the people that we are now. Okay, you can believe it was through a divine God or you, some of you believe it was through evolution. But you will agree that our brains are different and more powerful than any other animal species. We're the only species able to build civilizations into the future and project into the future. Even the smartest dog, there was a famous dog named Winston Cap, a border collie said to be the smartest dog ever, had the IQ of a six-year-old. Even a six-year-old human, like that dog, has a hard time thinking, hmm, I wonder what I'm gonna do in 20 years. Richard Dawkins says, we are humans that can predict or attempt to predict the future. He says, one of the most interesting methods of predicting the future is simulation. If a general wishes to know whether a particular military plan will be better than alternatives, he has a problem in prediction. He has to know the unknown quantities in the weather, the morale of his met troops, and the possible countermeasures of the enemy. One way of discovering whether it's a good idea is to try it and see. A lot of you have big goals in life. That's why you watch the show. You are ambitious. You want to get to, you know, if you're a guy, 8% body fat and lean muscle, you know, maybe for a woman, you want to get to 20% body fat, feel good about, you know, health and improve your health so you can live, not just past time. A lot of you want to make more money. Some of you want to make a million dollars a year. Some of you just want to get to what, what I call financial independence, which is 75 to 150,000 a year. But you have big goals because that's above average and some of you want to find the love of your life and find happiness and peace and bliss. So he's saying to get there, you're going to have to take certain actions. The problem is, he says, I mean, the one way you can go about it, he says, you can try and see it. You can just try. You want to know if you should do this business? Just try it. Just try it. But he says, but it's undesirable to use this for all tentative plans dreamed up, if only because the supply of young men prepared to die for their country is exhaustible. He's saying, he's talking about a military general, but he's saying something here. And by the way, there's a button below here. Buy this book. This made it to my top five most important books. So I got a little button below. Pick it up and you'll get the bonuses free. You'll get the book for the same price. So you're going to get it uh, pretty much anywhere. Plus, I throw in about $100 worth of stuff. If you try to buy those, those bonuses separate, I charge, I think we're charging 97 bucks. So you're getting $100 for free worth of stuff. All right, so he says here, I'm gonna skip ahead. Here's the problem, and a lot of us have done this. I have been a huge 
uh, what's the word? Uh, I've made a huge amount of mistakes. A huge amount of mistakes in what we're about to talk about. What you must become is, and he calls us humans, survival machines, okay? He says, survival machines that can simulate the future are one step ahead of survival machines who can only learn on the basis of overt trial and error. So listen to this. It's coming up. Most important thing I got from this book. The trouble with overt trial is that it takes time and energy. The trouble with error is that it is often fatal. Simulation is both safer and faster. For everything you're going to do, remember, every big plan you have must start yesterday's uh, or two days ago I talked about where good ideas come from. It's got to start in the mind. You must not be like everybody else who says, I'm going to learn the hard way. A lot of people falsely say you only learn from mistakes. This guy on YouTube who's arguing with a lot of people, my fans, and saying books aren't important. I want to remind him what Richard Dawkins says right here. My friend, you're going to learn it all on your own? Where'd you learn the world was round or flat? What would you think of me if I'm 60 years old and I come on this TV show and I say, everyone, I have a great announcement for you. I have proven that the world is not flat. The world is round. I spent my life traveling around the world, measuring the circumference, going to space, looking at satellite imagery. You would say, Ty, you're a fool. Somebody else already figured out. You could simulate without doing other people's results. See, Warren Buffett said it more accurately. Humans only learn from mistakes. You will only learn from mistakes. But there's no rule they have to be your own. So what Dawkins says is if your goal in business is to be to just, oh, I'm going to get out there and be an entrepreneur and I'm just going to start and I'm just going to do whatever comes naturally and whatever I can think of. Well, the problem with that is you're going to make some mistakes. And the problem with the too many mistakes is they're fatal and that's why about 80% of people with an idea in their head that go to launch it and start their own big thing and live that dream lifestyle, uh, entrepreneur lifestyle, 80% of them fail within about a year or two. It's a scary number and I can tell you why. Because they haven't read the knowledge in this book and, and put it into instinctual action. You have to be somebody who says, you know what, before I do, let me simulate. If today you went down to the airport, maybe you're traveling, this holiday season, you're going to get in an airport. Imagine you got on a plane and the pilot says, Guy, everybody, I want to make an announcement to everybody. Uh, this is my first flight. So congratulations. I've never done this before. And uh, let's see how this bad boy goes. Well, I, w I hope you would jump off that plane. What you want is a pilot who before he even or she ever got in a plane spent years in a simulator, or maybe not years, but put in a hundred hours in a simulator, a flight simulator. That's not an actual plane, but it's just a video game version of a plane. Then you would hope, what's the next step? You would hope they didn't start out as the main pilot, that they start out as a co-pilot. That's what we call mentorship, internships, apprenticeships. You'd hope they had some book knowledge. They had been to some classes where they learned a little bit of head knowledge, some memorization of what the different you know, uh, gauges and so on represent. So you see that you hope that all of us, I mean, you would hope that pilot learned in three main ways. 
before they got to be the fourth way, the head pilot. You, all Everybody wants, I talk about this in my TED, TED Talk, everybody wants to be the head pilot because the head pilot, the main pilot makes all the money. He gets all the rewards for you. You got to go through the process. Number one, you have to go through the process of getting a little book knowledge on something. That's how you start the simulation. So you want to be a movie producer, you want to be an actor, start with reading a book on it. It's easy. You can do it in no time. Second, get in a simulation experience, right? That could be, you know, going to a few different, Warren Buffett says if you want to know a career, go follow some people around in different jobs. Spend a day and be a policeman that you can do a ride along where you sit in the back of a police car. Whatever you want to do, do a little simulation. Then thirdly, just like a pilot doesn't start as a main pilot, he starts as a co-pilot, be a co-pilot. What does that mean? Go work for somebody who does it. Go to an internship, do an apprenticeship, find a mentor. And then you will earn it. To get what you want, you have to deserve what you want. So that's the second important part of this book. And I'm gonna now go to the last part, which is the question that I asked uh, uh, that, that you know you might be here for. I asked the question, you know, are humans inherently selfish or altruistic? Now, uh, this book is all about that question. I'm not going to sum up the whole book because I'll spoil it a little bit. I'm going to show you. Uh, I'm going to read one thing that he says about altruism here right in the beginning. <clears throat> he says, I shall argue that a predominant quality to be expected in a successful gene. Okay, Now, think of it this way. This is how I think about this genetic thing. Your great, 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 great grandma and grandpa. Let's just take your grandma, because women are really the ones who decide things And if you study history uh, from a biological level. Your great-great-grandmother had many choices of men who would have probably married her, okay? Your grandmother made a choice. Had she made any other choice, it'd be like the Michael J. Fox movie, Back to the Future. You would disappear off the planet had she made any different choice of men she decided to have children with. She decided on a certain course of action, that guy, okay? Now, so her genes were successful. Maybe she had picked a guy who was a loser, let's say, or the wrong guy maybe who was violent, or he would have been violent to her had she chosen the wrong guy. Maybe he would have cheated on her and gone off and actually had kids with other women and you wouldn't be born. There's, maybe he wouldn't have been a good provider and you know, a thousand years ago, your great great grandmother, there would have been a, there was a, you know, a period of famine, let's say, and she wouldn't have been with a good provider. You wouldn't be here today. So your grandmother made a successful decision, and you are a successful gene. There's successful genes inside you. So Dawkins says at the very beginning in this book, I'm going to argue that a predominant quality to be expected in the successful gene of your. Uh, mother and grandmother, is ruthless selfishness. And you see that sometimes in choices who people marry. A woman has a choice between two guys and she chooses the one 
choice that's maybe a little more selfish. She likes the guy a little more, da da da. Maybe even the guy didn't like her back as much, but she chooses, quote unquote, this selfish approach. And she knows she's got to hurt this other guy's feelings. So he says this gene selfishness over time gives rise to selfishness in individual behavior and in the offspring. So think about it. If your grandma had to, great, 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 great grandmother had to make a slightly more selfish choice to benefit her, because remember when she chose Bob over George, it was selfish for her and Bob to get married from the perspective of George, because George feels like he lost out, okay? But, so that means you and I are the product of slightly selfish parents and grandparents, which means we know that some things are inherited. Many traits. Dr. Sharon Molum, uh, Richard Dawkins talks about scientifically, the there is a genetic predisposition to, if somebody's drowning in a river, to you going to save them. The courage to go save a stranger is actually genetic. Everything is pretty genetic. Not that we're locked in, as Dr. Sharon Molum talks about, but we have predispositions. So you and I are predisposed to some slight selfishness. Look at your life. You ever struggle with Slight selfishness, you ever done something where you look back and go, wow, that wasn't the nicest thing for me to do? That's because some of it, and it's not an excuse to do bad things, quote unquote bad, but it's an explanation. But he says, however, as we shall see, there are special, special circumstances in which a gene can achieve even selfish goals best by fostering a limited form of altruism. Much as we wish to believe otherwise, Universal love and the welfare of the species as a whole are concepts that simply don't make evolutionary sense, he says. But even he, a very hardcore evolutionist, somebody you may not agree, even he says there are cases and many cases. Now, this book was in 1976. Many scientists uh, have disagreed with parts of this book. And that's one of them because we see that no matter whether you're very religious or you're not religious at all, to blindly follow ruthless selfishness will not get you what you want in the end. I talked about a Pareto inefficiency. I recorded an interesting video uh, for the, those of you in the, uh, VI, in the uh, Entrepreneur Lifestyle, the mini MBA business academy that I have. And I talked about in your business approach, in your marketing, if you are only taking you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Money is a representation of reciprocal altruism. If you don't have enough money, you might be blindly following ruthless selfishness. And you know what happens if you have a level one business? A level one business is what I recommend you don't have. I recommend you at least have a level two or a level three. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I don't have time to talk about it in this TV show, but stick around. There should be a button right below here popping up uh, that you can come on in about five minutes, I'm going to be doing my business talk on the new rules of marketing, how to get a million people to buy your product, a million people to pay attention to your new idea. It's harder to do in the modern world where people are bombarded with millions of images, but there is a set of rules that I'm going to show you, and one of them uh, is relevant to this book. Joel Salatin told me the 10x rule. If you can be perceived as giving 10x more value to people, they'll always open up their wallet. I asked a question. Could you go down, like I live, I'm here in Hollywood Hills, Sunset Boulevard's right below me. Could you and I walk down there? You take the right side of the street, I take the left side of the street. 
and talk in such a way and be so persuasive that any stranger we met would open up their wallet and buy whatever product we're selling. That's harder to do, but there are people that can do it. If you've seen that book, The Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort character at the end, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio gets up and he's teaching the class and he says to the guy, he says, sell me up this pen. And the guy can't do it. And you have to be persuasive in life. And so being selfish, even though I do believe there's a balance between too selfish and not selfish enough, uh, even selfishness entails cooperation, collaboration. So buy this book, and I'm going to leave you with one of the most important quotes, a quote that I think uh, harmonizes this book with the more soft, altruistic, charitable side that is in each of us. Uh, There was a famous rabbi in the Middle Ages. His name was Rabbi Hillel, and uh, he's famous for interesting quotes. But the quote that stuck with me uh, for years, he said, if I only, uh, he said, if I don't love me, who will? And if I only love me, what am I? Think about that. If we only, I'm sorry, if we don't take care of ourselves and our own self-interest, who's going to do it? Who's going to pay your bills? Who's going to take care of your family? Think someone else randomly is going to do it? No, if you don't do it, nobody will. So you must love yourself and your immediate uh, environment. You must love it. You must have some tribalism. But yet, he goes on to show the harmony. If you only love yourself, what are you? You're not even a basic human, in his opinion. And I think this book uh, confirms that. And I think your experience confirms that. So make sure as a takeaway from this, that you become somebody who strikes a healthy balance between loving yourself, between that selfish gene that's within you, and between being part of the human experience. And we know more than this book now. Good Science, like by Jonathan Haidt, talks about we are hive creatures, like Lieberman talks about the Harvard professor in his book Social. You have to be connected to. You have to be selfish sometimes when it's appropriate but you also have to be connected, all right? So, once again, Book of the Day deal. Get the $100 worth of bonuses free. Buy it from me. We're really good now at shipping them out. We can get them out to almost any country. There's a few countries, if you happen to buy from, we can't get it uh, back to you. But uh, we actually, I think every, when you click the button, you'll see the checkout page there. Every page there, uh, every country we can pretty much ship to. We get them out within an hour. We'll have the shipping order We'll have this in progress to you. You'll get the bonuses instantly. Uh, Start by my smart smart reading bonuses and then check out my insider notes and uh, rewatch this video too before you read it. So after you buy the book, I'll see you. If you wanna register also, there should be a button here uh, to register for the free online seminar. I will see you in five minutes after I drink. This green drink, and don't forget, every day at 11.30 California time, 11.30 to around 12, uh, we'll be doing the book of the day. I got an interesting new book for you tomorrow, so stay tuned. Invite your friends and uh, talk to you soon. Have a good day. My house has been through a lot this year. It's time for a home improvement project. Maybe update my kitchen 
or a new coat of paint. I'll need a contractor I can trust, and I know I can count on the professionals recommended by Best Pick Reports to give me great service. Plus, their work is backed by the Best Pick Guarantee. I'll look them up at bestpickreports.com today. Your complete source for top home service professionals in your neighborhood. Bestpickreports.com.